Grace and peace to you today. We're uh, so glad that you're here with us. We want to welcome you, especially if you're a visitor. Um, again, we got lots of activities coming up uh, over the next few weeks. This afternoon, uh, beginning at 5, we have our youth devotional. And uh, we encourage all our youth to be here this evening. We'll also have youth from area congregations present tonight. And then next Saturday and Sunday, we've been looking forward to this day for a long time, but we're having our, our seminar, Living as a Christian in a Secular Age. Invite everyone to come. Also, those of you with children, we're going to have free child care that day. And so come and bring your children, and there will be some people here to um, do some activities with them while you're able to, to listen to some of the lessons. Well, last week we began this series entitled uh, Christian Conversations, and we noticed that the words that we use are important. And so our, our conversations are, are regulated by guidelines that we find in Scripture. And God is concerned about how we talk to one another. And so he has provided us with instructions on, on how to speak and how not to speak. And today we're going to, to look at how conversation is essential to healthy living and essential to the life of the church. One of the things that makes us human is our ability to communicate with one another. And so if you think about it, conversation is foundational to marriage and parenting, is at the heart of friendship, and it's necessary for the church to exist and to thrive. And so uh, as we begin this morning, I want to share a video with you of Kurt Thompson. And Kurt Thompson is a uh, psychiatrist. He's also an expert in neurobiology. And in the video, he talks about some problems in our society and how the Bible teaches a different way that is more in line uh, with scientific research. And so watch this. for women and men 
by God's design was for us to not simply live together, but that we would be increasingly more deeply known by one another. It's interesting that one of the ways in which the Hebrew texts understand what God meant by bringing to Adam a helper was one who mirrors Adam to himself. That I'm not just helping him with the laundry, I'm not just helping him with dinner, I'm helping him to see himself. Interpersonal neurobiology, interestingly enough, is tending to give us different information than what our typical scientific direction tends to go. It tends to say, we don't really know ourselves until we see ourselves in somebody else's eyes. This is replete throughout the biblical narrative. Even though it's being newly discovered by neuroscientists in the 21st century, this is information that is the writer of the Ecclesiastes, you could say, is not really new under the sun. We're just simply putting a different spin on it. So to the degree that we aren't just simply striving to know information, but to the degree that we are willing to be known by others in all of our dreadfulness, in all of our darkness and strangeness, is the degree to which I then become known to myself. And I can't really do that nor will I experience that, I think, with God until and or unless I'm doing that with other people that are just sitting three feet away from me. Okay, so looking at, at history is often very helpful if we look at it in the right way. And so we, we don't look at history to validate something that we already believe, the same way that we don't use the Bible to validate something that we already believe. We, we look at history or we look at Scripture in order to learn. And, and Dr. Thompson rightly suggests that for the last 300 years, we have been obsessed with knowledge and that we have sought knowledge in order to try to heal ourselves, but it hasn't worked. And so we need something more. We need to be known. Well, when we look back at, at church history, we see various movements in the church. And, and then we see attempts to correct what is viewed as a problem. And so, for instance, uh, worship before the Reformation period, so before Martin Luther and John Calvin and those figures, it was focused on sacraments. And worship was conducted in a foreign tongue. You would go to worship and you wouldn't understand anything. It was, it was in Latin. And, and the clergy were the only ones who knew Latin. And the main focus of worship was on receiving Holy Communion. Now the Reformers came along and they said, well, this isn't right. And so they said that people should be able to worship in their own language and they should be able to read the Bible in their own language. And then the central part of worship became the sermon. And um, in fact, in some churches, they, they weren't even doing the Lord's Supper, it may once or twice a year, but it was the sermon was the focus of worship. And, and you would come to receive information. So there was a time when the focus of worship was the Lord's Supper. There was another time when the focus of worship was the sermon and receiving information. 
But now I want you to hear the first description that we have of the church in the New Testament. It's found in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And listen to hear what Luke records for us. He says, And they, that is the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so what is the focus here? Well, the focus in this passage is on being together. Now, as you read it, you'll see that teaching is mentioned, you'll see that the Lord's Supper is mentioned, and that praying is mentioned. But fellowship is what is emphasized in this passage. And so it says that they devoted themselves to fellowship, and then it says that they were together, and that they had all things in common. And then finally it says that they were breaking bread, they were eating together in each other's homes. And so here's what the life of the church should look like. The focus of worship is to commune with God by partaking of the Lord's Supper. We need those sacraments. We need to be instructed in the ways of God through preaching, teaching, and hearing the Word of God read. That's important. But we also need to spend time together. We need to eat together. We need to invite one another into our homes. Because this was the focus of the early church. This was the first thing that they were doing. And, and if we think that church is just about receiving information, or it's just about partaking of the Lord's Supper, then we missed out on what the church is really all about. If we show up on Sunday only to be informed or only to take communion, and we neglect fellowship, then we're not doing what God wants us to do. And so what is at the heart of eating together? What is at the heart of spending time together? Well, it's conversation. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, we're told to encourage one another and, and build one another up. How do we do that? Well, we do it through conversation. We do it by participating in the lives of others. You know, we have certain things that we need because we are human. We need oxygen, we need food, we need water. But we also need community and conversation. Dr. Thompson pointed out in the video how this is a scientific fact, but it's also a biblical one. The, the, the science is catching up to what the Bible has said for years and years and years. That we need to be known. But sometimes... We fill this void with things that don't ultimately satisfy. We might try to fill it with information like we've done for the last 300 years. Or we might try to fill it with entertainment as is common nowadays. Some try to fill it with drugs or alcohol. But when we have a void in our life, we're going to try to, to fill it with something. And if we don't get it right then we're not going to be satisfied. 
In Genesis 1.26, God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And what's amazing about this passage is that God doesn't say, let me make man in my image. Instead, he says, let us make man in our image. And that's very important. He uses these plural pronouns. Why? Well, God is one, but God is also three. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they dwell in constant community. And this means that we were also created to live in community. And this is why it's not good for Adam to be alone. That he needs someone else to commune with. He needs someone else to uh, converse with. And so do we. I want you to notice how Paul describes the church in 1 Corinthians 12. This is verses 12 through 20. He says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit, for the body does not consist of one member but of many. And if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. And if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And it's amazing that Paul uses the same language that that we use to describe the Trinity, to describe the church. Paul says, though many are one body. And so the church is made of many different members, but we are one body. And Paul vividly describes how every member, every one of us is essential to the body. We need one another. We are not being the body if all we do is come for information and then leave. We are not being the body if all we do is pretend to commune by taking communion, but we never commune with one another outside of worship. Being the body of Christ means that we look like that group of people in Acts chapter 2. It means that we invest in each other's lives. It means that we encourage one another and that we help one another. And we can only do this if we're conversing with one another. And so what kinds of conversations do we need to be having as the body of Christ? We need to be having conversations that strengthen the body. Conversations that encourage, conversations that build one another up. Um, We need to develop friendships within the body of Christ. Part of our job as the church is to live into a different reality. 
And so in other words, we are to, to live as if Jesus has already returned. This is what we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so what will it be like in the new heavens and the new earth? We don't know everything, but we can begin to imagine. And it's not going to be a place where everybody's walking around staring at their phones. It's not going to be a place where we spend our evenings staring at a television screen. We're told, uh, we know this from Scripture, that it's going to be a place that we, where we eat together, we feast together. We talk to one another. And, and the people in this room are, are the people that we're going to spend eternity with. Don't you think it would be a good idea if we got to know one another? We need to be having conversations that anticipate the life to come. At the same time, we need to be having conversations about the here and now. And so we have been blessed with wisdom from God. We have been given a set of ethics that come from the creator of the universe. And so we, we have something to offer the world. And so uh, you and I both know that the world is continually wrestling with various issues. And we as the church should be a voice as the world you know, contemplates, what are we to do? Now, often, these are difficult conversations, but they are conversations that need to be had. And so, for instance, we should have something to say about racism. We should have something to say about the protection of innocent life. We should have something to say about injustice and about abuse. We should have something to say about the value and the importance of marriage. And so as recipients of the wisdom of God, we should seek to have conversations about ethical and moral dilemmas in our world. And this is something that we should be doing as the body of Christ. But whatever it is we are discussing, we need to be having conversations where the fruit of the Spirit is manifested. And so... Uh, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And these are all things that can be practiced in conversation. They are things that encourage and things that build up. They, they are things that we can um, practice as we are having the, these difficult conversations. Most of the time, you know, when the world is having those difficult uh, ethical and, and moral conversations, they are at each other's throats. They're, they're yelling at one another, they're calling people names, and they don't even try to hide it. I mean, you see it every single day on the 24-hour news networks. They're there being ungodly on both sides. And it's happening all the time on Twitter and on Facebook. And it's up to us to, to emanate the fruit of the Spirit in the midst of hostility and in the midst of anger and in the midst of hate. 
And so through our conversations and social media posts, we can be a light to the world. So let me challenge you this week to, to have a meaningful conversation with a fellow brother or sister in Christ. You know, it could happen today right after worship. It could happen at lunch or, or at dinner. But, but get to know the people on your pew. Get to know the people who are in front of you. Get to know the people who are behind you. Talk about more than the weather, you know. We are brothers and sisters. We are the body of Christ. I know we believe that. And now it's time that we act like it. Let's pray. Father, we come before you uh, this morning and and we thank you for the wisdom that you've given us um, through your holy word. Uh, We pray that we would humble ourselves and and learn from that, that uh, there's there's so much there for us that would benefit us, that would... um, have us to live healthier lives and be filled with more joy. And uh, we pray that we will take what we learn and put it into practice. We pray that we would seek to have meaningful conversations with other Christians and that we would just get to know each other and that we would anticipate our life together when you do return. And Father, we also pray that we would be um, people who... Um, show the fruit of the Spirit in our conversations, whether those be with other Christians or people in the world, especially when um, those conversations might become difficult, um, when uh, we're dealing with topics that um, cause anxiety. Um, We pray that we would be a calming voice. We're so thankful for Jesus who teaches us how to live, and we're thankful for the sacrifice He made for us on the cross. We pray this in his name. Amen.